the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 97. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? emotional week. So yeah, I'm a little tender. Yeah. You know, sometimes the sobriety milestones are, uh, they leave us feeling a little exposed, right? Yeah. Like a raw nerve. Yeah. (laughs) Very much so. I think, um, I know that I know that in general that, you know, coming up to a big sobriety birthday or a milestone or even when it was the months, you know, when it was one month, two months, everything counted. Mm-hmm. And um, it left me feeling expectant. Mm-hmm. It left me feeling um, sad. It left me feeling proud. Like there's so, it's like this hotbed of emotions happening. Really? It truly is. And I don't know if enough people... I was never verbally prepared for that until later on, you know, and it was like, why am I so twisted up about my sobriety birthdays? It feels like a celebration on one end, but then you're reflecting on the other side and you're right, the expectations, and then there's the letdown. Even if, even if your expectations are met, you still have to come (laughs) down emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It is. It is. And I thought it was, I I actually thought about it before it was coming. And, um, because January was so full, Sandra, like I wrote down all the things I'm not going to bore you with, but I freaking knocked it out in January. I I worked my ass off. You know, you know, I, I uh, recorded my January uh, I don't know, it, accomplishments, not just accomplishments, just everything that happened in January. Yeah. Because last year when we were doing our wrap up of the year podcast and I was saying, yeah, I always, I seem to look back at my year and think I didn't do squat. And I thought, I'm tired of feeling like that. What, yeah. the, what can I do to change this? And so I thought I'm going to start at the end of the month, I'm going to write down everything I accomplished. Even if, you know, like I took my kid to the dermatologist and I opened up a new bank account and I read, you know, these books and watched these movies, you know, like even little, little things, but I'm going to, I'm doing that. I'm committed to doing that every month. And I thought I'd even put it in my blog and I thought, well, God, how boring is that? You know? So I don't know. I may or may not do that, but I don't know. I kind of dig it. I kind of like that. Um, I like that um, um, because you forget. I I can even forget what I did in January unless I I looked at my calendar and kind of wrote some things down. Um, My friend Tracy Benjamin from Shutterbean gave me a book, her currently book. And it's basically a little tiny soft cover book that you get to write down every month. And she does that 
personally and enough people commented and asked her for it, she made a book. Oh, that's cool. It's all in one place, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, it's not a thick journal. It's this little tiny soft cover book where you can kind of go add things throughout the month. Mm -hmm. And um, of course I waited till the last day of the month, but um, I think I won't do that from here on out because you're right. I want to remember the books. I want to remember the movies. I want to remember the outings. Um, and all those little things, going to the dermatologist, or taking your kid to the dermatologist, like these are things that are, are like victories in sobriety, right? Like the little you, tiny thing. I mean, you don't even, you don't even know. <laughs> right. I paid all my bills before they were due this month. I mean, like <laughs> those type of things are really important and they are, they are victories. They are these victories that we don't talk about. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I know that... I feel so grateful that I'm married to a person who gets it because, you know, there are some, I can see how a lot of people would look at that and go, well, no shit, Sherlock, (laughs) you know, you should take your kid to the dermatologist. Um, But people that aren't in recovery don't get it. (laughs) No. Sometimes like, of they'll... course you pay your bills on time. Of right. You Good in your for car you. Before you. Golf clap, you know. <laughs> Good for you. But it's true. It is a <laughs> it's a victory. And because for decades I couldn't I I couldn't take care of a lot of of just menial tasks. I just yeah. couldn't. And Thank goodness I have a spouse who who does, you know, he celebrates those things with me. He's like, look at you. (laughs) Yeah, you're very lucky. You are so grown up. (laughs) How does it feel? (laughs) Well, getting gas in my car before it hits E. Every time I do that, Sandra, I feel like I should do a victory lap like like Rocky, you know, around my car, like when he's at the top of the steps with my arms up, like you did it. (laughs) Because I always waited till it was on E and I had to freak out about it and it took up a lot of mental space. So those little tiny things, maybe we should have an episode on this, Sandra, because the little tiny things are, are, are so important. It really is. And so, and if you're like me and you are tired of getting, you know, it always takes me to, I always, before I make a change, I have to get to where I'm just absolutely sick and tired of something, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm learning, but yeah, if you're like me and you are sick and tired of getting to the end of the year and saying what I did nothing, what did I do? I accomplished yeah. nothing. Yeah, I I I challenge you to just keep a log, anything, just a succinct log of 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 little things, little accomplishments. I don't know. It made me feel good going back and just looking at January. So anyway, yes. But speaking of being a grown up and yes. coming to Jesus, we uh, have to <laughs> mention. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I've got the giggles now, and it's this is serious. But um, we got an email from a listener about our boundaries episode, and we felt like it was a responsible thing for us to mention it. And um, I don't know, not necessarily make amends, but just say that we are aware that we brought this up and some of the words that were used to talk about gray area drinking were maybe not what we intended. So the email was about 
gray area drinking. And um, I don't know, Tammy, I'm going to let you go from here. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, (laughs) We didn't bring it up, Sandra. I brought it up. I want to own that. (laughs) You helped me banter with it. And um, I need to own that uh, I didn't mean to offend anyone with my um, kind of rejection of that label. And that's exactly what I did. And I didn't do it in a very tactful way. Um, I did not mean to be insulting to any listeners. I didn't mean to uh, present as if I thought gray area drinking um, was a take it or leave it. I think those were my words. I know those were my words because I've listened to it a million times. Um, But I was talking about gray area drinking period. And then I started saying some statements that were about the end of my drinking. And that's where I said, I hope I didn't present that I could take it or leave it. I said something about waffling. That was about me. That was about owning my experience. And I was trying to separate myself from a gray area drinking label. And I don't know why exactly. Um, I have to give that more thought, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a worthwhile topic. In fact, in our interview today, um, it comes up a little bit. We talk a little bit about labels. And it is interesting, right? I mean, even just four and a half years ago, when I quit drinking, there were only two labels. You were either drinking you know, or you were an alcoholic, you know, there wasn't a lot of language to Mm -hmm. describe the spectrum. Right. Because it did, there really is a spectrum. And now there is a lot of language to describe the spectrum. There are teetotalers, there are alcohol abusers, there are uh, alcohol dependent, um, Alcohol use disorder. Alcohol use disorder. And gray area. Yeah, that's new. Yeah, so many um, labels. And I think all of them are fitting. uh, And however you define your personal experience, right, is up to you. But it does get confusing. Yeah. And I think it was hard for me to have someone else tell me what my label was, which is kind of where I went, was going with all of that, which I should have done that privately mm-hmm. Yeah, with that person. So, um, so leading up to the weekend, I, I've, I've made amends and I've uh, owned my part in things with a few people and I feel good about it. I wanted, to, I wanted to say that here because if there's any sober, curious women who are listening, um, people who identify with the gray area label, my comments seemed flippant and I, I want to own them and I want to apologize. Right. Because in the end, however you identify yourself, whichever label seems fitting to you, if drinking is not working for you, you can quit. You don't have to be, you don't have to go all the way to, to the end. Um, so I know that, yeah, right, exactly. And so that's, you know, that's where we would like to take on some responsibility with our language is, yeah, by saying, you know, you, you don't have to 
sometimes when we use these labels, uh, somebody who is trying to place their drinking on a spectrum can look at the end and say, well, I'm not that bad. So right. I must not need to quit drinking or maybe I don't have to look at my, at my drinking. But anyway. But the thing that you and I talk about that I really love, Sandra, and I want to punctuate, and I, I think we're on the same page on this. If we're not, you can tell me. If you don't like the way you feel, you can stop. You can stop. Oh, bottom can be a feeling is what we've said throughout Definitely. these yeah. 97 episodes. Like your bottom can be a feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more important than a label. Even yeah. I say that, you know, the A word isn't, doesn't bother me and I'm a lowercase A and I've said these things. I know I have on the show, but I, I think I love coming back to what we say. Your bottom can be a feeling and you can opt out at any time. Right. right. And that's what I want to kind of just underscore here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to check myself. I need, I've been really loose and, <laughs> and uh, you know, got really comfortable and that's okay too. It's not that I'm going to be super uptight now, but I, I have a responsibility not to be flippant with my language. So yes. I want to own that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks for helping me do that, Sandra. Of course. And again, yeah. you guys, we will, pro- this will probably come up again and again. Yeah. So <laughs> And we'll deal with it again. And we uh, welcome your your emails. If you if we've said something that doesn't sit right with you, we you can email us. <laughs> we are we are receptive. Yeah, and um, I do want to say we received so many nice comments about the boundaries episode. I think we more really than we've ever received. Yeah. So um, so anyhow, I want to I focus on that too. I appreciate all the feedback that our listeners gave us on that episode. For sure. Okay. It taught me something. Yes. Everything does. So yeah. Well, let's get to our guests. Yes. Everybody can hear her her story. Yeah. So today on the podcast, we have Trisha Lewis. So a little bit about Trisha. Um, She quit drinking in November of 2016 and never looked back. A former high-functioning alcoholic, she is now the host of the Recovery Happy Hour podcast, where she talks about life beyond the bottle and what happens after we get sober. De-stigmatizing alcoholism, exploring gray area drinking, and dropping the labels in favor of fixing the problem are the podcast topics she speaks most passionately about and what the listeners request the most. This is a perfectly timed interview, by the way. Exactly. (laughs) She is also the co-creator of Sober by Southwest, a sober music event happening in Austin, Texas on March 16th. Pushing back against the drinking culture in America and providing inclusive, sober social spaces is her next challenge to tackle. Partnered with Sands Bar in the event, Trisha believes we have the power to shift our culture one day at a time. We had a great conversation with her. We really, yes, we really did. And we do talk about um, the event that's happening in this year of 2019, if you're listening to this in the way, way future. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's right. But we, but we also talk a, about a lot of things that are relevant to just recovery in general. Yeah. And we'll share this in the show notes, but all of her social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, for the podcast that she hosts, um, the recovery happy hour, um, 
I said that wrong, Sandra. It's at Recovery Happy Hour and at Sober by Southwest for the event. Right. Um, and she has a website, recoveryhappyhour.com and soberbysouthwest.com is the other website. Right. And there's early bird tickets, right, Sandra? There are early bird tickets for Sober by Southwest. They are on sale until February 14th, 2019 at a discounted price. You just go to her website and you can learn all about it. Yeah, it should be fun. I don't think I can get to Austin in March, Sandra. I would love to be there. I know. It'll be, well, February is that short, this is a short little month. It'll be here before we know it. But um, I'm sure I will be there. Uh, I don't foresee any conflict on that day, so I'm <laughs> sure I'll be there. Um, so anyway, hope to see some some friendly faces. Yeah. And she, she's doing great things. And so it was a fun conversation. We hope you guys enjoy her. Hey, Unruffleds, Tammy here. I wanted to let you know that Sandra and I have decided to edit out a little over a minute of content from episode 95 on boundaries. Specifically, my words about gray area drinking and the mentioning of a friend by name in the sober community that I felt assigned a label to me about my drinking that did not resonate with me. In an effort to choose grace over drama, we have decided to edit that content out for future downloads. We stand by the episode and hope you understand our decision. Now, onto the show. Hey, Trisha. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. How are you this morning? Awesome. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Oh, yeah. Of course. Where are you um, talking to us from? So our listeners know. Sure. Yeah. I'm just outside of Dallas, Texas. And it is for the first week of February, I think it's 70 degrees outside and sunny. So oh. yeah, it's a little, it's a little extreme. It is. It's like scary, gorgeous outside right now. <laughs> it is. Everybody's yeah. you, just so you know. I know. <laughs> It's on the east coast. Well, yeah. Come talk to me in August when it's four degrees. Exactly, exactly. The only thing I dread about this type of temperature in February is, you know, my mind immediately wonders what July is going to be like. So, yeah. Uh, So you pay for it later. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Don't be too, don't be too jealous. (laughs) I love when we talk about the weather. It's great. Um, I do too. too. I actually do at the beginning. It's like, really, it really affects my mood. So there, (laughs) we were supposed to have snow last night in in Northern California. And, uh, I have a friend and a neighbor, um, she's both. And, uh, we are kind of, we call, we joke that we're like Mrs. Kravitz from Bewitched, you know, uh-huh. on, the, on the lane where I live. Cause I live on this dead end dirt road lane in this farming community. And so I'm always at the top of the hill going like the fire trucks are over at so-and-so's ranch. Do you know what's going on? <laughs> so, but we also watch the weather. That's how old we are. So, so last night she like posted something on Instagram about there being snow and being on the lookout for snow. It's going to be 34 degrees. And I'm like, are you storm watching without me? She's like, I am. Because usually we get flooded in in the wintertime in our little town. And so, yes, weather is a big, big topic over here too. I can't lie. It's the first thing I look at in the morning when I get up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same, same. It it dictates whether I'm going to get to go for a run outside or, you know, I get some, I'm like, 
and hot flash. I didn't, the, the humidity makes me have hot flashes. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I can feel them kind of coming on because sorry, Trisha, I'm turning 50 this year. It happens. And so, <laughs> I, I, so that really, that affects me a whole lot. And, um, yeah, whether I'm going to take a hot shower or a tepid shower, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's important. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I just, I, I kind of just get surprised, um, unless it's like extreme weather, which I get excited about. <laughs> I just like to know as much about the future as possible. So. Mm, right. <laughs> yeah. very, it's a very satisfying way to like scratch that itch in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't, I no longer try to future trip, but I want to see the weather because like, somebody else is future tripping for you. Uh-huh, <laughs> for exactly. you. Oh, well, this was a great, I love it. I love how we start. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we should probably talk. This is a show about recovery and creativity and weather. Maybe we'll add that on the on our right. <laughs> um, Trisha, can you share with our listeners how we usually start this show? Is that um, you share a little bit of how you came to the decision to quit drinking? Yeah, of course. Um, well, my sobriety date is November fourteenth of twenty sixteen. I got sober when I was thirty five, and um, you know, I I'm pretty typical in that. I, I grew up around addiction. My older brother um, had a 25-year-long career with drugs and alcohol. So I was a typical sibling of an addict and an alcoholic and tried really hard to overcompensate for my brother and the mess that he was sort of creating in all of our lives and was really ambitious and an achiever and just... I guess just typical codependent, just always wanted to make sure that everyone's needs were taken care of before my own and how can I make peace in every situation. And, you know, those are habits when you learn early, they, they stick around for a long time. So I, uh, you know, I'm in the restaurant industry for 20 years now. Um, I've worked as a chef, a manager, server, bartender, I mean, you name it. And I think, you know, in the restaurant industry, it's really easy to make a drinking problem look normal because everyone around you drinks um, pretty excessively, to put it nicely. Uh, it's, it's pretty easy to, at the end of a long shift, just tie one on with all your buddies and feel like the way that you're drinking is totally fine. Yeah, it's standard. I mean, if you're not drinking in that setting, you're, you, you really stand out, right? Right, right. And, you know, because that work can be so excruciating, such long days, such physically, you know, laborious hours that you work hard and you want to play hard. It's like you want to get from that point of being stressed and in the middle of a rush to like as chill and as drunk as you can be like as quickly as possible. Yeah, I would let I want you to finish your story, but I would love to circle back to this topic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Um, you know, I went to culinary school. I didn't go to college, so I didn't have a traditional, you know, college career of partying and binge drinking. It was more just like doing it for work. (laughs) And, um, you know, I traveled all over the country, uh, cooking all over the place and was again, you know, was always achieving and ambitious and, and, you know, having these really great career milestones. And it was, easy for me to make it look like I didn't have a problem because even if I was pounding martinis and wine every night, whether it was with coworkers or alone, I was still getting up early the next morning and going to work and running a business and making it look like everything was fine. So 
you know, when I hit 35, after a while, it's just like your body catches up to you and you can't negotiate your drinking problem with your body at a certain point. Like one, one of these things has to give. And I had really backed off on my work and I, I mean, I, I want to say it was like the equivalent of going on like a three month bender, you know, right before I, I stopped drinking. It was just every night, every weekend, it was just nonstop. And eventually I, I, I woke up one morning, I was having my first physical withdrawals. It lasted for about three days and I, I basically detoxed and had no idea what was happening until about two and a half days in. I was like, oh my God, wait, this is happening right now. And it was scary enough for me to just know that, okay, it's time. I, I feel like being in a family that, that is around, has been around addiction, I knew enough about it and knew that the way that I drank wasn't really normal. So planning on quitting someday was just kind of always part of the plan. Mm. I just didn't decide until it had already started. It was just like, all right, we're three days into this. I guess we're doing this now. And it was a weird sort of psychological trick. I think I kind of played on my subconscious because as soon as I was over those physical detox symptoms and sobriety had already started, it was like, all right, we're going now. You know, I started looking for meetings to go to. Um, I signed up for some private Facebook groups to have accountability and just dove right into it. I was, I just, I, I guess like a typical overachieving, codependent, overly ambitious alcoholic, um, I went as hard at sobriety as I did with my drinking. I resonate with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't do that at the beginning. Um, I didn't know I was detoxing, but it was three days later, Trisha, that I kind of was like, I've gone three whole days, felt miserable. I might as well keep going because this is a long time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. And I, I was smart enough to know that like, I couldn't keep up with that forever. I mean, yeah. I, I'm a woman and I have a petite frame and I understand that I only have one liver and two kidneys, you know, <laughs> like I said, at a certain point, you just, right. you have to give up. And, you know, I was blacking out most of the time. It could have happened at four drinks. It could happen at 14. It was just, my body had just already made that decision. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you when you decided to quit drinking then? I was 35. 35. So then that was the marker. Yeah. Trisha, did you ever think for a moment that you could just reel it in? Did you ever try to do that? Oh my God. Yes. Like every yeah. single night, um, probably <laughs> from starting from when I was 23, yeah. you know, you start making up those rules and trying to find new ways to moderate. And, you know, it was, it, it would get to the point sometimes where I would even order drinks that I hated at the bar thinking that maybe if I ordered something I didn't like that I would drink it slower. It was, you know, you look around at, at dinner parties and make sure that you're not drinking faster than the person next to you. And at a certain point, it wasn't about like getting drunk. It was about trying not to get drunk because it was once I had started and had one drink, I just never knew what was going to happen after that. Mm -hmm. just, just never knew. And I was exhausted. It's so much in your mind, right? It's such a mental, I think Annie Grace called it a mental um, mind fuck. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like that obsession when you're trying to moderate that way. It's a really, it's, it's not easy. It's not yeah. Well, I think I, if I was going to a party, I would get anxious about going to a party instead of excited because it was like, okay, 
how am I going to try to not get totally wasted? Oh, yeah. I remember that feeling too. Like, I, you know, yeah, already anxious about how am I going to get home? I already, I know the, you could, you knew the, you knew how it was going to end. I did every time. I knew. Every time. And it was always a new, you know, how can I try a new way to change the outcome that is absolutely inevitable. That last weekend, it was just a really, on the outside, it would look really normal. It was just a really social weekend. I had an old friend's birthday party. Um, you know, there was a dinner party. There was game night the night after that. There was a brunch. It was just a really social weekend. And I was just so nervous heading in because, you know, I'm, I'm divorced and, you know, I live alone. And it wasn't like I had anyone to take care of me when I got too drunk. It was always, it was just becoming riskier and riskier yeah. and same outcome. You know, I wake up in the morning, not having any idea how I got home, totally safe, but usually, you know, my legs covered in bruises from falling down all over the place and not having any, you know, just record of yeah. what had happened. Mm -hmm. But then I guess having a brother that I, I'm sorry, did you say that your brother was in recovery yes. or yeah, yeah. You could kind of see where, where the road could take you. Well, and that also describes the, uh, what I, what took so long to figure out was, do I have a problem? Because my example of a problem was my older brother, who was the, the, you know, low bottom. He's you know, the textbook. Textbook definition of what alcoholism and drug addiction looks like, like that stigma defined prison, selling drugs, homelessness, you name it. So mm -hmm. seeing that is your example of what a problem is makes it that much harder to diagnose yourself as having a problem when you're so high functioning. That's really yeah. what I struggled with for the longest, like the longest right. was just deciding what was a big enough problem to stop. Mm -hmm. Well, now that you are, you've been sober for a couple of years, do you find that um, the newer language is helpful? Like for instance, gray area drinking or, you know, that those kind I of, that, that kind of language? I do. And, you know, I started my podcast recovery happy hour last summer and I've spent the last six months really digging into this idea of just dropping the labels and focusing on the real issue at hand. And I, I did the same thing that so many of us do. And that's look too deeply at what I want to be called and worry about that. The label of whether that's an alcoholic or a problematic drinker or a gray area drinker, we focus on those things and want to, um, you know, claim something as our identity. And that's not what's important. If you, I learned that if you find no matter what kind of drinker you are, I don't know if you have one a night or if you have one a month, or if you have, you know, a hundred a night, it doesn't matter. If alcohol is no longer serving you, it's okay to decide not to do that anymore. And most of us don't inherently know how to quit drinking. It's not a skill we're born with. So you have to learn how to do that. And that's really what's most important, not what we want to call ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, we can get um, hung up on that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think most of us are probably gray area drinkers, but we want to define ourselves as either a normal drinker or an alcoholic, or we don't want to define ourselves as, as one of those things. I think most of us reside in that gray area and that's, you know, that's okay. Just go with whatever is making you feel good. And if that means dropping alcohol, then do it. I mean, I hereby give you all permission to do it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, you know, I found too, 
and I mean, this has just been a recent conversation. I feel like, um, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've been sober since 2014, but I feel like it's a pretty recent conversation about it being a spectrum and, and, you know, I mean, you can only make, define your, define it on your own terms, right? Where that line, where those lines are and, and what it takes to cross those ambiguous lines. Mm -hmm. But, um, it is a helpful, um, visual, I guess, to see it as a spectrum, but it, you're yeah. right. It all, always comes back to you. How, how does it make you feel? Are you miserable? Does it make you miserable? Well, th that's really something to look at. It is. And I, and you know, I think that the word alcoholic is so ruined, you know, I, I just think it's over it's over and done with. And for anyone that wants to call themselves an alcoholic, by all means do it. Like, I don't care what you call yourself, but it, the important thing is just learning how to ask for help to learn how to not drink anymore. I had no idea that I would really have to learn how to do that. You know, we're, if you think about it, we grow up learning how to drink. They don't teach you how not to drink. So of course you have to ask for help and reach out. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't learn how to drink in my household because we never had any alcohol in our household. And so for me, when I did start drinking, I thought, I thought I was drinking normally. I thought that that's what you did. Drunk meant pass out, blackout, um, get bruises. Like that was just what happens like that. Well, so it, it, I never learned how to drink responsibly. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't know how I feel about that now, but I do like being the person in my household to show my kid mm -hmm. that there is a different way. Like you don't have to drink. That's, that's not the norm. You know? Well, and culturally we're taught how to right. drink. Totally. You know, you grow up seeing it in commercials and movies and, For and sure. you know, that's what we, if you're not around alcohol in your household, you at least see what culture um, pushes on you. Oh, yeah. and Sex in the city. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's fabulous. And we're all just having these, you know, expensive drinks and, you know, they gloss over the part where you don't remember getting home and you're carrying your shoes. Yeah. But you know, I never, ever had that conversation with my friends or a mentor or an adult, no. ever. you know, I, and I, and really like, I laugh about, I've laughed about this before, but until I read Sarah Heppel's book, Blackout, I really thought that everyone had had blacked out at some point in their drinking career. But, you know, come to find out, no, that's that's not actually true. <laughs> that's really mind-boggling to me that somebody would go through their life and drinking alcohol and not ever blackout. Right. That was so my norm. And, yeah, and, and that's also the progressiveness of, of this is that, you know, I, I, was, I didn't always drink like that, but I can tell you that I did always drink to change the way I felt. And sure. To and had to have some sort of feeling of control. You know, the first time I ever got drunk is so indicative of who I am, period. It was like my, my first boyfriend that I'd ever loved, quote unquote loved, um, dumped me and I was just ruined. And he didn't like it when his friends drank and I had never drank. So I decided we were gonna be at a party that night um, in the same room and I decided I was going to drink for the first time I was gonna get drunk because A, I didn't want to feel those feelings B, I wanted to control the way that somebody felt about me because if he didn't love me, then I wanted him to hate me. And C, that is my extreme thinking. Like there was no, there was just love or hate. There was no like, you know, it was just, I, it's a control mechanism. I am a person of extremes and I loved changing the way I felt. And that really never changed up until I finally quit when I was 35. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that rings a bell. <laughs> that rings a bell. Well, I think I think um, I, I said this in my meeting um, on Sunday because I had my four year on Sunday. My four Congrats. year. Congrats! That's amazing. Thank you, thank you. And I felt important to say at my twelve step because I'm not in denial about that I had a drinking problem. Um, and there's still the part of me that wants to please everyone and check the boxes and do what you're supposed to do in a meeting. And I always like the people that kind of just say it like it is. And um, I was saying, I said, you know, I, I care what you guys think in here. And I don't care if you think I'm in denial, but I call myself alcoholic here with a lowercase a. And I don't call myself, I am an alcoholic. I don't, I don't say, Tammy, I'm an alcoholic. I don't say that. I say, Tammy, alcoholic. I say, it's a subtle difference. But to me, that's how I work my program is that I know I drank alcoholically when I drink. And I know I drank more than seven drinks a week. And I know for me, this is only my story and my label and my thing. Like I'm, because recently we've, we've, Sandra and I've had some talks about this. Like I just, I don't know what that, you're right. I don't, I don't know that I need a label anymore. I think I might've needed one when I came in because I felt so unmoored. I felt a little afloat. I felt scared. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. hang, hanging on to one really helped me, but then that went away. And then I tried something else on for size. And I guess I get to do that. That's the beautiful thing. It's my, it's my story. Just like it's yours and Sandra's like, we get to do what we want to do to recover. Yeah, exactly. It's our life to live. And, yeah. you know, you can call yourself whatever you want, but, you know, like I said, it's just, it's just not, it shouldn't be the focus. The focus is what is making you feel better and how do you want to live your life? Yeah, for sure. Did you, did you go into the rooms at all, Trisha? I, you- I did, you know, actually, um, I heard a podcast, I, I heard a girl's story and, you know, like most of us, I heard her tell my story. You know, I'd never heard my story through somebody else's lips before. And on this podcast, I just really related for the first time. I heard all the similarities and none of the differences. And she had mentioned that AA had worked really well for her. Um, I was resistant like most of us at first, but I went ahead and was like, you know, I'm just going to try everything and just see what sticks. And I went to my first meeting and um, it really felt good. I felt like I could let a little bit of of pressure out, you know, like there was so much pressure building up in these pipes for so long. And finally that just at that first meeting, there was a little crack in the pipe and I was able to, to let some of that, that, that pressure out. And, um, I don't attend meetings anymore. Um, I moved also, which, uh, you know, sort of put a dent in my routine, but going to a 12 step group in that first year, absolutely saved me. It taught me so much of just how to learn to live a life without drinking. I find the steps to be amazing. I worked all of them. I did it with a sponsor, but it's not something that I find is essential now to go to, but I also get so much community in other different places in my life. And that's, what's so key, right? Having that in real life um, connection sometimes. Absolutely. Wherever you get that, I don't, I don't get, think that's important, but just getting right. it is. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. It kind of changes, at least if you can have one person, you know, cause it can be pretty lonely and isolating in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why these podcasts and online sober communities and social media that people um, are out and loud and proud about things. It's very, um, 
you know, I live in a tiny town and mm-hmm. I didn't want to go to a meeting around me because I didn't want to run into anybody I knew in the beginning. Um, but there's not a meeting in my town. So I have to drive and go find meetings and like, gosh, the, the ease now and, and how much we have available to us in terms of podcasts and, and it's just fantastic. I mean, for Absolutely. the person who's in recovery right now, this is not even how it was four years ago. You know? Yeah. It's, it's amazing that the options we have and um, it, it's so, e- it's so much easier. It's so easy. And it's even easy to, to be um, an active participant in AA without ever going to a room, you know, the, the online rooms, it, it's just, yeah, I, I, it's so much easier to get sober now than ever before. There's a lot of, yeah, a lot of resources. That's well, a really good point. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead, Tammy. I thought I w- you were going to make a segue. Yeah. I w- well, I was, you know, I'm not really good at segues. You know, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to practice right now, Trisha. <laughs> Since we're talking about that, um, can you share about, you know, what was the impetus for starting your podcast, your recovery happy hour podcast? Yeah. Did so- I do it, Sandra? Did I work? Did it work? Yeah, you did. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> nice job, Tammy. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> See, I was part and am still part of several online private uh, Facebook communities for accountability. And I just, I was really, and still I'm just so active in those and just helping cheer other people on and share my experience. And um, I had a lot of people asking, you know, saying, oh, Trisha, when's the book coming out? I guess they liked what I had to say. And I'm a writer, but I have no desire to write a book ever. I'm just, I don't feel like I'm that disciplined. <laughs> and, but, um, but I like to talk to people and I'm a relator. So decided to, to dive into the world of podcasts. I hadn't found a whole lot of podcasts that were about what happens after we get sober. There's a lot of great ones to hear people's stories beforehand. And those serve a purpose and we relate to them. But I wanted to talk about what happens after because the fear of missing out is a huge deterrent from people for people to ever even consider sobriety. They're afraid they're going to miss out on something. And that's what I wanted to focus on that life does go on. There is life beyond the bottle. It is so much better than you think it is. And, um, I think I've been really lucky. It's, it's taken off. Um, I've had a really, really great response and, it's a privilege to be able to get to know people's stories, to help them articulate their own stories. And it's my favorite thing I've ever done next to sobriety is having recovery happy hour. It is hugely rewarding. Oh, and so helpful probably in your own recovery, right? Just, you know, being of service in that way. It is, it is, but it doesn't even feel like it. It's just something that comes naturally to me. I just love to talk to people and, and it's, yeah, it's my, I, I couldn't tell you how many hours a week that I work on it a lot, but it doesn't feel like work. Like I said, it's just every, it's just a privilege. It really is. Yeah. We can relate to that. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I think, I think hearing other people's stories, sharing them, like I, um, like you said, it's not work. Uh, I feel like it's a calling too. Like I feel called to do it. Sandra feels called to do it. We feel mm-hmm. like, um, it's not expected of us. I know that but it feels um, like something I want to do for other people. Absolutely. Right. <clears throat> yeah. It gives me, definitely gives me some purpose. And I know that um, if doing it is this easy, it's something that I was meant to do. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. I, I, I always say that I get bored pretty easily with things and I do. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm not bored of 
this podcast of recording this podcast yet. And you're right. Um, a lot of people, especially even Tammy, I think mentions often how it is our service work, but it doesn't feel like that, uh, either. So I have to remind myself of that, that it, that it is, that it is service work. It is the 12th, the 12th step. Yeah. Yeah, I I remind myself. I remind myself of that just because sometimes I'll feel, start feeling guilty. Like, Oh, I should be doing more in meetings and I should be doing more sponsoring and I should be doing more. And then one day a while ago, I was just like, actually I do that. Mm -hmm. I already do that. And maybe that's what I do. And I don't have to guilt myself into thinking I need to do all of these other things and, and take all of these positions and run myself ragged, um, you know, well, my, and, and nobody's asking also, me to do that. It's me, all me. So I'm like, I'm already doing it. And that's also a testament to how non-traditional recovery can still be hugely helpful. You know, it's like you may not be sponsoring or we may not be sponsoring a person and being available to them by phone 24 hours a day and working the steps of the person. But on a greater scale and probably a little bit more efficiently, we are sharing our experience and helping other people get and stay sober on a much, much bigger scale. It's not traditional in the, you know, in the world of, of 12 step recovery, but it, damn, it sure is effective. Well, exactly. Vir- Virgos yeah. like to be efficient. So I think I definitely like that line of thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So Virgo, I'm, I'm a Taurus and I know that I'm a huge control freak. So <laughs> We're going to be friends. All right. Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced over a year's worth of content and have over a quarter million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing, you can be a patron of this show for as much as you'd like, even if it's just a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. So let's see, where do we segue? Well, you know, I want to circle back to the restaurant industry. So Trisha, I have a couple of questions about that. Um, Well, first of all, what brought you into working in the restaurant industry? Was it a passion for food or uh, was it something else? It's two things. Um, I mean, when I was four, I told my dad I wanted to be a donut maker and eventually, you know, wanted to be a pastry chef. And that's what I went to school for. Um, I think cooking was just, it was something that always um, called to me and I love, I'm a hard worker. I just, I love to work. And if you love to work, I got an industry for you. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, moving into this industry was just a natural fit for me. It was something I'd, I pretty much always planned on not realizing, um, how prevalent drugs and alcohol are. I mean, it's, oh, okay. it's just a lifestyle and it's not something, I mean, I don't know that knowing that would have kept me away from it, but you know, only knowing those types of jobs and careers definitely skews your idea of what normal drinking looks like. And for sure, for sure. And I asked that because, you know, for me, it was like my shadow career. It was like the thing I was just stuck in trying to get to the things that I actually wanted to do. Um, but I always make this joke that there's a reason why I never worked in a bank. You know, I mean, I was very close to the source of what I needed to cope. Mm -hmm. And, but once, you know, and it's easy to get stuck in there and I'm, 
so I think that we both came to, uh, came there from different places. Um, you know, and I think as a chef too, I think you can, um, uh, there's probably, you know, something there that feels more like a career than if you are a weight, weight person or even a bartender. I mean, I, I get that some people are mixologists and that's, that's Mm. something that they're passionate about, but from, for a lot of us, it's a holding place. Right. Well, yeah, I think that I moved into, I think I was an executive chef by the time I was 23. I mean, I was just, um, you were driven. Yes. And I was, I was thrust into this world where my ability to achieve and perform really worked well in my favor. And, uh, but I'm still hanging out with the same people that, um, you know, I would have drank with if I were bartending or waiting tables. And, um, you know, I would say I saw a big shift after two, probably the year 2001, which was only a few years into my career. Um, you know, Anthony Bourdain and Kitchen Confidential and this glamorization of the dirtier, seedier side of the restaurant industry and sort of glorifying the the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of it all. It wasn't, it wasn't like you really had to hide anything. It was more like you were proud of it. Like that was your badge of honor. Like, yeah, I just worked 15 hours a day and I'm going to go out and party until five in the morning because that's what I can do. And that's what's expected of me. And it's common and it, some people get out of it. Some people don't. And it's, um, you know, unfortunately, I mean, not to take this into such a dark place, but unfortunately that mentality kills so many people. Oh, for sure. I mean, I know a lot of, yeah, <laughs> it's, it certainly does. And in a, in an, I mean, in an industry where health insurance is not common <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, the resources to get treatment are very unavailable and not affordable. It's just so unfortunate how, how powerful this phenomenon is and how little is available to us to really turn it around. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you were saying how you, you needed the rooms, you know, for a short time, but I, I, I'm sure you can agree that people that want that either have to stay in the service industry because they, they need that money to pay their rent or it's their call, you know, cooking is their calling. Um, I think it's important important that, uh, that those people that are trying to get sober in the industry really have community. I mean that I think more than anyone, and I know that people that work in marketing and people work that work in publishing all say that they have a drinking culture there, but it is nothing like the restaurant industry. It's true. true. You know, and I, 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 I've met people in every industry that say, well, in my industry, and then there's some sort of exemption for, to them for like why it's even more of an excuse or why it's even more prevalent. I mean, the reality is it's everywhere, but yeah, in our, in our industry, we definitely can, you know, like just slap a badge of honor on it. You know, I I'm five, three and I'm a pretty petite lady and the, the level at which I could drink whiskey and be one of the guys was something that I was so proud of and was encouraged and I think any woman who's worked in the restaurant industry can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, and if you're getting sober in the industry, you know, you have to like walk the dragon every day pretty much. And it's, you know, not only are you just in close proximity to alcohol 
at all times, but you also, that other thing that you described about having to shut down that adrenaline after a shift, Mm -hmm. like for me, I, I can't, it's too triggering for me. Like I cannot, like I even get triggered if I go and sit down for a meal in a restaurant and my waiter is in the weeds. That triggers me. Big time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me, tell me what's in the weeds. Tell me. Okay, in the weeds means you can tell that the waiter is like really stressed, like they got oh. four tables at one time. They're overwhelmed all of a sudden. Okay, they're overwhelmed. You. Yeah, because you know that anxiety. Super triggering for me. Yeah. yeah, like it makes me want to drink buckets of alcohol. <laughs> that <laughs> just. <laughs> Being close to uh, a energy, yes, being close to that energy, Mm -hmm. and it's so it's super triggering for me. But then again, you know, like so, I know that I that's my my that's my boundary, that's my non negotiable. Um, But you know, at the same time, there was a time when I was a single mom, and if I did not have my couple of restaurant gigs that I had, I would never have been able to support myself and my kid. And it also, it goes, I mean, I have to mention the fact that there are plenty of people that get and stay sober within the industry. And And there are, right. And And I would love to talk about, you know, that a little bit. Yeah. Well, and you know, as I meet as I run into people my age and older that are that I've known for a long time that are still in the industry, the ones that still are and are successful have all gotten sober. Right. Because you have to, because after a certain point, you can't work those hours and drink the way that you drank. Yeah, and, it's going to kill you. You're going to get a DWI at some point. Right, right. Yeah. Or you're not going to be able to manage your business very well. Like the, um, when I owned the wine bar in Bodega Bay, you know, you're friends with all the managers and the, and the people who own... Uh, restaurants and you know it is the norm like you said and everybody um, treated each other every establishment you went to you know you kind of patted everybody's back and this is on me and and so it just kind of it was like this very it was community Mm -hmm. it was a community that you drank and here try this or this is super special or wait until you see what I got and oh I have this special bottle I'm gonna let's wait till after hours yeah and then um you know, my friend, I have a really close friend who owns a restaurant. He was kind of bummed out when I stopped drinking and, um, we didn't, it wasn't so great, you know, for there for a little while. And then last Christmas, uh, you know, he thanked me for being, um, an example to his daughters. He's like, they don't have a lot of people that don't drink in their life. And, and I, I think it's really, I think you're a great example to them. And I was like, thank you for saying that. It took a little while for us to, because I, I think he worried he was going to lose his fun friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm really fun, Trisha. So. Oh, trust me, <laughs> trust me. I wrote the book on that, right? <laughs> it's funny how many, how so many of us think that we're not going to have any fun, right. you know, once we give up alcohol, and then it turns out like we weren't having any fun with it. We, you know, it's like <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I just I wasn't living my life. I was just working or drinking, and there was never any in between. And now. I'm so much more fun and I'm actually living my life. I'm actually plugged into everything and having real experiences. And it's weird at first, you know, I think anybody, especially in the, in the restaurant industry trying to get sober, is it weird at first? Yes, totally. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be, you just have to learn new, you know, tools and tricks and ways to live your life. 
and the investment is worth it. And again, I think especially for people in that industry trying to get sober, I think community is imperative. Like you have to find other sober uh, restaurant workers yeah. to yeah, hang you with. Have, you have to find people you can relate. and to commiserate with, and yeah, and to and to you know exchange mutual support. Right, and also you know this has been something that I have started uh, moving towards. You know, as I've as I've grown the podcast, is where else are people not used to having sober social you know situations? And you know that's sort of how the idea of sober by Southwest came about when I met Chris who runs Sands Bar in Austin, this, you know, sober pop-up bar. What a concept. I mean, a sober bar, it's unbelievable, but so needed. And, you know, we're just thinking where else can people learn to have these experiences where people are sober and having fun and it's not weird. And so that, yeah, that's how we created this event. And now it's like, how else can I you know, or entertain people? How else can I organize event? How, how else can I just gift people with the opportunity to show them, yes, you can still go out, have fun, be at a music event, be around people who work in the restaurant industry. Like it's totally possible. It's just not, it's just not something that most of us have experience with in the beginning. Right. And I want you, I want to let you talk about the Sober South by Southwest in a minute. But I, when I was talking to Erin Shaw Street, do you know Erin Shaw Street via yeah. social yes, media I, or anything? I love her. She was um, on an episode of, of Recovery Happy Hour. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, we've become friends over the last couple of years. And when she was in Austin, we were talking about wouldn't it be amazing just to get to a place where non non-drinking culture is normalized yes. so that even as a customer you can walk into any restaurant or bar and no one will look at you twice for ordering a non-alcoholic drink agreed agreed yeah it's well and the funny thing is Aaron and I had met online and, you know, on Instagram, and then I had her on my podcast. And then I went down to Austin to visit Sands Bar and to meet Chris and just have an experience. And Aaron happened to be in Austin that night. Oh, right. So yeah, I saw her the next night, uh, right? Yeah. We were supposed so, to meet that night. Yeah. So yeah. Randomly, we ended up meeting up at Sands Bar, which is total magic, by the way. Like that just doesn't, I mean, come on, let's just, you know, state the obvious. Like that's magic. That's so cool. And that night, me and her and Chris were all talking about like, we're, something's happening right now. Like there is a shift and people want experiences where being sober is normal. And it, I feel like we're headed there. We really, really are. I just want to be one of the people that helps drive this movement and create these experiences for people. So Chris and I were talking about how, I mean, South by Southwest is such a booze fueled weekend in Austin, Texas. It's just three days of nonstop shows all over town and a lot of day drinking, a lot of it's, I used to live in Austin. I, I've experienced it. Sandra, you get it. Oh yeah. 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 For our listeners that don't know what um, that is, I know you just explained it briefly, but the shows are they, they're music shows. Right. Yes. Well, it's bands. Uh, that's kind of how South by Southwest started. When it originally okay. started, it was just uh, three days of music shows. Now it's sort of morphed into it's a conference. Twelve now. days of of 
other experiences as well. You can, there's a technology experience, there's a film experience. Okay. But Um, the, the, the root of it is still really music. The music, right. So it's a full weekend of just showcases all over town. Um, and you know, you, you have a badge, you get into any of these shows, or if you don't, you pay five bucks and it's, it's really amazing because you'll see some, local band that no one's ever heard of and then you know um you'll see pete townsend from the who perform right after that like it's just crazy and um and it's fun but if you're newly sober south by is a tough weekend to experience and chris and i were just brainstorming like well what can we do about that so we created our own event which i have to say is an unofficial event so we are we're not officially you're not listed is what that means yeah Right. We are. Yeah. So, um, they were very kind to let me use the name. <laughs> Got a little, little slap on the wrist, but, um, we, so we created a daytime event. It's actually, it's on Saturday, March 16th, and it's a bunch of bands outside with a typical South by Austin, Texas experience. Um, and, but, but we're not serving any alcohol. We're serving mocktails. We've got dry soda company. We've got Topo Chico. We've got really cool local vendors that are going to be there. And we just want to provide an, an experience that says, Hey, guess what? We can do this too. And it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So where are you doing it? And is there music involved or how does that? Yeah. For this so California girl, I've never been. So how does that work? So at this, at our event, it is going to be on the east side of Dallas. It's the space. No, wait, so- east side of Austin? Oh, I mean, Dallas. Austin. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Austin. I live in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> east side of Austin. We're actually going to be at the space where Sands Bar pops up every Friday. So we're going to have a great outdoor space with a stage and five or six different bands playing throughout the day. Um, you know, a ticket gets you admission and unlimited mocktails all day. We've got some really cool local vendors that are going to be there. It is going to be so fun. I'm so excited and so proud of this event. And it's a really cool way also for me just to have fun with event planning, which is another huge passion of mine. And we just, you know, like I said, we just want to prove that we can do this. We can absolutely do this. Like we're not total weirdos. Like we've already said, (laughs) we're all really fun people. We just don't happen to drink anymore. So why not? Well, the weirdo label, I don't know. That's... (laughs) I will, I will proudly take on that label, but, but, you know, and I, and I think too, um, just having options for people who just want to take the night off of drinking. Yes. And that's, that's a big thing too, is like, we are not just saying, Hey, if you're sober, come join us. We're saying everyone come join us. If you want to inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. If you drink great, there are a thousand different places you can drink. But if you don't want to drink or if you want to start off your day and hydrate, come join us. We're going to have a good time too. And we'd love to have everybody. So it's, yeah, we just, we love everyone. And we also, the big thing is I don't judge. If somebody wants to drink for whatever reason, go do it. That's none of my business. If you want to have some great cocktails that don't have any alcohol in them though, I know a place where you can get them with some, with, you know, some sweet bands. And I, I want that. I know, right? <laughs> okay, so let's get to the logistics of the of the show. So how many hours? When does it start? When does it end? How many bands? And where is it? Sure. So it's 1818 East 12th Street in Austin. It is at Sands Bar. And it is Saturday, March 16th from 12 p.m. till 6 p.m. Tickets are available. 
on in four different places actually we've got early bird tickets available at a discount until february 14th you can get them at suburbysouthwest.com you can buy them on instagram or facebook event page and um it's uh, I'm trying to think of what other logistics you would need to know. How much are the tickets? So early bird, a general admission is $25. And that includes, like I said, full day admission, unlimited drinks. Um, it also, I want so badly to plug some things, that I, but I, I can't yet because they're not 100% confirmed. Okay. There, are, there are some other things that will be included that we're going to kind of start to announce this week. But um, you're definitely getting a lot of bang for your buck for $25. I can't encourage it enough for people to just go and buy the early bird tickets now because you're going to be pissed when they're sold out. <laughs> and how many bands? How many bands, Trisha? We should have six. We should have wow. six. So we've got, um, we've got three booked right now and we're working on the other three. It's going to be all different types of, of genres of music too. So um, a little bit of something for everyone. And it's just, it's going to be a cool community of people there, you know, during, during that weekend in Austin, you just never know who you run into. Right. You know, when I lived in Austin 10 years ago, it was like in the span of maybe 30 minutes, I, I saw, you know, Pete Townsend from the who and Amy Winehouse. I mean, it's just an, just an insane weekend. So People are coming in. Um, some people are coming in from out of town just to come to our event, which is so flattering. A lot of people can't because it's a crazy expensive weekend to travel to Austin. But we're, we're there for people that are in recovery that maybe just need a safer space to hang out in during that day. And also for people, like I said, if you just want to not pregame. And just mm -hmm. come and hydrate. Right. You know? Well, I'll tell you, Tricia, in my experience, because I've lived in Austin for you know, since the mid early mid nineties. Um, in my experience, a lot of musicians, especially if they've been doing this for a long time, like people in the restaurant business are sober because you can't at some point, if, you know, if you were potentially going to have a problem with drugs or alcohol, you can't continue with your career and do both. Right. I, mean, I, I think Keith Richards is Keith Richards, only, I think is, is going to be the only exception to this. So <laughs> I happen to know a lot of sober musicians mm -hmm. and, you know, I know also too, that when you go to, um, and I, I don't know this specifically for South by Southwest, but I know it's probably a thing. But like when you go to any big show, um, there's usually a code for where the sober people are or where like usually there's a tent or a flag or there's, really? you know, I like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or it's called friends of bill or, you know, like some, somewhere there's a code. I know that, uh, you know, like, um, the people that follow the Grateful Dead, um, the sober group there, are, I think they're called the Wharf Rats, I think. And, and don't get me wrong, like, I'm all about, like, secret handshakes and codes and stuff, but, like, I also want it, I also- It just, just is. Yeah, I also am just, I don't think it's a big deal to be like, yo, we're so- No, I think the reason know. why I'm bringing this up is that it would be cool to let those people know that you exist. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to get the word out to, to those people, but the people that are going to be, there's, there's going to be people 
at South yeah. by Southwest that are sober. <laughs> right, sure. right. Yeah. And they and, are going to be looking for the flag or the handshake or whatever. <laughs> They're going to be looking for that space mm-hmm. where the sober people are gathering. Right. Um, so anyway, I hope yeah, that word gets out for your event is what I'm trying to say. I hope it does too. That's what social media is so great for. And I can tell you one thing, if official South by Southwest found me as quickly as they did, then I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure that the sober people are going to find me too. Chris and I are working um, really hard on some really cool event connections to sort of uh, bring this a little more to the forefront. And um, you know, I'm excited for what this first year is going to um, turn into and some exciting projects that we have moving forward after this. You know, it's, it's, I, I think it's such a cool time to recover right now. Social, you know, you can use social media and leverage it in your favor. And, um, you know, putting together these fun events, Sandsbar has this national pop-up tour. Like there is, it's so exciting to be sober right now. I really believe that. Like we are just taking this and running with it. And especially now that we've got, I mean, you ladies have heard the statistics. I mean, alcohol is not worth the risk. Like now we know it's official. Science proves the risks outweigh the rewards. So why wouldn't we celebrate that in any way possible? And again, just, just, just put it out there and say, it's not weird anymore, guys. It's okay to just decide you don't want to drink anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so one more question about the event. Do you, are, if it's not sold out, will you accept walk-ins, walk-ups? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. If right. we don't sell out by March 16th, then we'll definitely have tickets available the day of. And I, I mean, I'm expecting a really big party. It's not like we're going to sell out after, you know, at 60 people, not at all. We're expecting hundreds. So, um, but definitely uh, to take advantage of the, the early bird ticket price, I would, I would encourage people to go online um, and buy their tickets at soberbysouthwest.com. And also probably too, if you can get there via public transportation, that's probably the best bet. Parking can be a nightmare to put it lightly during mm-hmm. that weekend. So anywhere yeah. you go. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah. Take, take advantage of, uh, you know, Uber, Lyft, um, you know, the scooters that you can grab, you know, and use the app on your phone, like, you know, get creative, but definitely get there. We want to see you. Chris wants to see you. I want to see, see you. I, I want to give just like everybody a giant hug that I've ever talked to on social media. I can't <laughs> wait to meet so many of them. It's fun. It's it, really fun. It really, oh, and one, really is. One more question too, Trisha, because I've been to the Sands Bar before. So if the are you guys planning for good weather and having it outside or yeah, how, so how is most that of it, Most of it is going to be outside. Um, so, you know, springtime in, in March in Austin, it's usually a gorgeous day that weekend. Um, so that whole out door space. I don't know if you even saw it when you were there. That kind of yeah. middle space. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. There's that huge patio outside. So we're going to um, have most of it set up outside. And then nice. um, we've got a really cool thing happening inside that we'll kind of close off that, that inside bar for. Um, but yeah, it'll be rain or shine. Um, traditionally, it's a gorgeous day. So we're all just going to enjoy the music and the sunshine and the sobriety and just have a badass time. Cool. I love how you've taken all of your talents and, you know, and this is where you're at right now, you know, with the events and what, cause you're so good at that. Right. Thank and you. that is in your wheelhouse. Yeah. I definitely loved, I love to entertain, you know, um, that was a beautiful way to kind of gloss over a drinking problem for a long time. And now I can use it to celebrate being sober. 
Who would have thought? And, you know, I can't take credit for it. I mean, there is definitely a larger power happening above me that is sort of guiding me in this direction. So my hands are up. I surrender to it. I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do and continue to serve and do what feels right. And I, I just feel like pushing back against the culture that tells us we have to drink to have a good time. I just, I don't agree with that anymore. I'm pushing back against it. I want to help lead this charge that, that proves otherwise. I love it. Thank you. I know that you and I just briefly for our listeners, you and I chatted a lot about hostessing and um, using hostessing as a way to drink. And I know we're near the end of our time together here, but if people want to listen to Trisha and I really bonded over this in our interview that I did on her podcast on recovery happy hour, it's episode 33. Yeah. The hostess with the mostess. You, you could have titled that better. I was so happy. I was like, that is, I love her. Thank you. No, it's great. I mean, I think that most women who love to have, you know, entertain and have dinner parties, um, so we could drink our face off. Yes. You yeah. can really the fact that you can, you know, you know, lead again, lead the charge and, you know, get mm-hmm. your friends drunk. And then as soon as they leave, you can open up the cheap stuff and drink by yourself. But, right. yeah, <laughs> but also, you know, that was a big thing when I got sober, I was like, oh my God, am I ever going to have a dinner party again? And the answer is yes. And a lot better now too. <laughs> the answer for me is uh, a fraction of what you used to do, Tammy, like right. a really tiny, tiny fraction. And maybe that'll change this year. But if you want to hear more of us talking about that, you guys can tune into that episode. Um, yeah, it's a great one. Um, so I love this. I'm, we're towards the end of our, of our time together. And um, what we usually do at the end of the podcast. Oh, Sandra, do you have anything else? I'm sorry. No, no. I yeah. loved our conversation. Yeah. about about the restaurant industry. I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. And um, again, I, I, I feel like there's not uh, a lot of people, I think, leave the industry when they're getting sober and not many, there's not many people that I've, I've seen that, that do it successfully. And so I just think it's a, it, but it can be done. And so yeah. I think it's just a really important conversation. And yeah. it, it, it does, you know, it is worth noting that for anybody that is in the restaurant industry that needs resources, there's two really great nonprofits out there focusing on restaurant recovery. One is called Restaurant Recovery that you can look up and then um, Ben's Friends as well. And they focus on getting people in the industry the resources they need for treatment, whether it's inpatient or outpatient or, um, you know, helping to find something that they can afford. Um, that's so, so needed. And if you guys don't know about those yet, please visit their websites, um, you know, donate to them, plug them on your social media, support them. Um, they're doing really, really great work. Thank you. I was hoping that you would know something. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Trisha. So, so now oh. we're going to ask you just the questions we ask at the end of every interview, um, is, and it's going to be about your unruffled toolbox, something, um, it could be recovery related. It could be creative related, a uh, tool that you use that you find um, really helpful Yeah, um, for your rec- creativity or for your recovery. Well, uh, you know, first and foremost, I have to say that I'm a very anxious person. I have been since I was a little girl. And so uh, managing my day-to-day anxiety is a big, big part of my success in recovery. So my morning routine is a huge part of my life. Um, getting up early when it's quiet and I can start my day with a reading or a Bible study or a meditation or something that just gets my mind right from the get-go. I feel a little bit more at peace with the day. I'm not 
grasping to, you know, holding on to control so tightly. I'm just a little bit more go with the flow when I really stick to having that morning routine. I feel like I'd be a totally different person without it. Um, the yeah. other big thing is just accountability, whether that's in the rooms of a 12-step fellowship or on a Facebook group or on Instagram or texting a friend, just having anybody that I can reach out to at any given time and talk to and just get those negative thoughts out of my head or ask for help or, or offer support to somebody else if I'm having a pity party, yeah. you know, just, just community is everything. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a powerful tool. It is. Yeah. It is. And I, I'm, I think I had a third. It's sort of, I've sort of slipped my mind now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. jot them down at the beginning. I should have. My morning routine and community and, oh God, I don't know now. <laughs> there has to be another tool. Yes, there is. There is. I'm going to think of it. Who knows any jokes in the meantime? <laughs> no pressure. Naps. Two. <laughs> Naps, hot shower. What's your beverage of choice? What's your favorite beverage? There you um, go. Yeah. What's you know, your it's funny that you mentioned this because like my, I'm obsessed with non-alcoholic drinks. I mean, it kind of goes along with the whole idea of recovery happy hour. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, I love Topo Chico and LaCroix, of course, but I'm really into ginger beers. Like really. Mm. Which, so, which one do you like? Well, um, Bundaberg. Oh my God. The oh yeah. Yeah. So and I really like luxuriate in, in spending time and money looking for really special non-alcoholic drinks to have that to look forward to and to mm -hmm. have that, that treat and something special for myself. So I don't feel deprived. Mm -hmm. Um, I've now turned, um, my man friend has a really cute beverage fridge in his kitchen that I have totally taken over. <laughs> he's a normal drinker. So there's like, you know, some cans of beer in there. And then there's like 12 different types of ginger ale. <laughs> I love it. You know where I love to shop for non-alcoholic beverages? And I don't know if everyone has the store or not, but it's called World Market. World Market, yes. It's the best. Really? Yes, Wait, World geez. Market. Do you have a World Market? It's a chain, so Sandra, you may. Um, how long have we known each other? Why are you holding out on me? Uh, really? You never told me this. Really? No. You don't know about World Market? I know about it. I've never, okay. I haven't been in, I don't go, know how many years. Yes, go to World Market. Now, you probably used to go to World Market to buy wine. Well, next <laughs> to the wine section, are, they have so many non-alcoholic beverages. Thank like you. They've got it from all over the world. The collection is huge and it's from all over the world. I'm it's going today. Yes, it is a beautiful today. place to buy uh to buy non-alcoholic beverages. And while you're there, you can pick up tea, coffee, uh, you know, yeah, a you papa can chair, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you can have just fill <laughs> your basket full of beverages there. A wicker okay. shelf, a couple of decorative <laughs> right. and like Table. seven kinds of ginger beer and lemonade. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. You guys are making me very excited right now because <laughs> I have nothing in my fridge right now. I think I drank my last Topo Chico on Super Bowl and I, I was like, I just kind of get bored sometimes. And I'm like, I forget. I'm like, eh, yeah, I'm just drinking yeah. water all the time. So yes, I'm excited. Okay. Go to world market, nice. download the coupon before you go. Oh, there's a coupon. All right. <laughs> there's always a coupon. World market for non-alcohol. This is a public service announcement. It I really is. No, thank you. <laughs> Our listeners are going to thank you. World yeah. market's going to thank us. I know. World market. If you guys are listening, we will happily <laughs> take gift cards as a thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, no problem. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, uh, Trisha, how can people find you if they want to connect? 
and buy a ticket for Sobers by Southwest. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, again, if you want to buy a ticket for the event, soberbysouthwest.com, you can buy tickets there. And for my podcast, you can check out any information on that on recoveryhappyhour.com. It's available for download on um, iTunes, Spotify, and really any of your favorite podcast apps. Um, Also Instagram. I'm really, really active on there. It's a great way for me to connect with people quickly. So that's just at recovery happy hour. And then I use the same social media handle for Facebook and Twitter. Oh, good. Well, thank you, Trisha. This has been a delight. Of course, uh, ladies. It's a pleasure to get to know you two better. I'm such a big fan. So thanks for having me. I love this community. It's so great. And that we can know each other from afar. You know what I mean? Before we get to meet. We oh my to, God. We yes. Support have, each other a little bit. I have so many girl, like girl crushes. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Oh, well, thank you so much. We wish you so much success on your event. Thank you. Yes. And I'm certain that I will see you in March. Can't wait to give hugs. Can't wait. All right. <laughs> Bye. 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 The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.